Thank you, worship team, for a great morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. To the book of Titus. It's in the back. First and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. It's one of the shorties there in the back as we continue this series that we started about two months ago called uh, Wired, uh, God's design or plan for all of us. And, and we're trying to figure out and discern from Scripture how God meant things to be. In fact, that's what I do every week. I, I pray as I get up here and from God's Word, we kind of interpret life. Uh, we let the Bible read us, as one of my favorite preachers, a guy named Matt Chandler says. We let the Bible read us, and, and, and we, we seek to live out what we find there. And we've been talking about the roles of men, talking about the roles of women. hope you fellas have your man cards, and you're living according to God's purpose for your life. Ladies, we talked about you last week. We're going to do some more with both the men and the women in our church as we enter into uh, Titus chapter 2. Uh, but uh, typically I start my sermons with a story. I don't have any stories this week. No trucks burnt down or anything like that this week. So if it's okay with you, yeah, it's a good week in the Saunders house. Nothing fried. Uh, but uh, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to kind of crank up the, the, the text here and get us going. Because I think these first few uh, words in the first verse of uh, Titus chapter 2 are just, well, they, they summarize beautifully this whole series for us. Let me show you what I mean here in Titus chapter 2 verse 1. It says this, uh, but as for you, teach what accounts with sound doctrine. Now, we dropped into the middle of the book, so let me kind of catch you up with what's happened here in Titus. Titus was one of Paul's friends, and Titus has been sent uh, there in that early church uh, age to a place called Crete. Heard of it? It's an island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And so Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him. He's telling him to appoint some elders to make sure that uh, he's got, you know, some good leadership in chapter 1. And then he says, listen, man, I know, man, you got some tough things going on there. Uh, you're working with the Cretans. The Cretans were famous for being Cretans. They were, in fact, we still use that word today. Has anybody ever called someone a Cretan? You're getting it from this island here in, in this age. Uh, and the Cretans were famous for being, well, it says in verse 12 of chapter 1, for being liars and for being uh, evil, evil beasts. Uh, one of their own prophets or poets, actually a Cretan, wrote this about the Cretans. It's the best thing he could come up with. Well, I guess we're lying beasts of evil. Uh, so, so Paul says to Titus, hey man, tough crowd. I, I know you're working in a tough environment there. You're, you're hanging with the Cretans. And so I'm praying for you. And, I'm, and I'm, man, I'm, I'm, I'm writing to encourage you because, you know, just even the, the, the pond that you're drawing from, it's a tough pond. Uh, but then he says, listen man, I'm also writing because there's a lot of falsehood that's coming up in the church at this age. There was a group of people, they were called the Judaizers, and they were uh, Christian Jews, and they said, listen, if you're going to be Christian, you've got to be Jewish. And so we've got to kind of have both if we're going to truly honor, you know, this whole Christian faith thing. And this is something that Paul, in the book of Acts, we're going to study Acts all summer, uh, in the book of Galatians, he just comes out, out against uh, vehemently, and he says, no, we're, we're, we're pulling away. from Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to become Christian. Christianity is for all, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. It's for everybody, and nobody has to bend to someone else's whim. So, so Paul writes Titus, and he says, hey, buddy, hang in there. You're working with a bunch of Cretans, and you got these people on the inside who are trying to influence you and pull you away from the one truth. He says to him in response to those, he, he says, but as for you, and here, here's what I want you to remember about the Christian faith. We are, but the, uh, we are the but as for you people. In this day and age, we're not trying to stay with what's going on uh, you know, in, in, in the determinations of moralities according to public vote. We're, we're not trying to, like, trying to, like, you know, keep up with the American culture. That, that, that's not our God. We are the but as for you people. 
The rest of the culture is going to do what it does. But as for you, you do what God designed. And listen, inside the church, there's going to come up different heresies. Sometimes people are going to lead you into legalism. You're going to read a book and be like, oh, man, I've got to make it all about my works. Don't. Sometimes people are going to say, hey, man, grace is awesome. Just do whatever you want. And they're going to lead you into license. Don't. Because we're the but-as-for-you people. We don't do what the culture says. We don't do what all the people who are twisting the truth say. We do what God says. We live by his design. So Paul said to Titus in this day and age, and he's saying to us in our day and age, hey, man, teach him some sound doctrine. Teach him to live, to do what is a, or to, to do in accord with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, you know, that word sound is actually a word that uh, uh, in, the, in the Greek translate, it's, translates into our modern word hygiene. It's the hygienes is the Greek word, and we use it to describe hygiene. So it means clean, healthy, whole. It's not ravaged by cancer. We haven't detracted anything from it, and we haven't added anything to it. When you see the word sound in Scripture, that's what it's saying. It's saying functioning according to God's design, perfectly, holy, sound doctrine. Doctrine there is this idea of principles. When you see doctrine, think about these are the principles that govern our lives. They're the things that we fill our minds with. They're the truths that we, we, we glom onto as followers of Jesus Christ. That's our doctrine. It's up here. But to live according to our doctrine, when he says teach what accords with sound doctrine, Paul's telling Titus, hey, man, tell them what all of our ideas look like in real life. Make sure they understand. Here's what we believe. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace through faith, not of works that we are saved. Everybody remember that one? And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created for good works in Christ Jesus. Because we have been given grace, we are created to act different. We are the but as for you people. So here's, here's how this looks. This is what we believe. There's, here's how it looks. And he's going he's gonna to just start popping off here. And, uh, we're not going to get to the whole of chapter 2. Read it when you get home. It's amazing. He just covers like six or seven different people groups. And he says, here's how the Christ life look, looks. <clears throat> How's it going? Preaching too fast. Here's how the Christ life looks for certain people. Here's what sound doctrine manifests itself as being. He's going to start with the older men. Fellas, I'm going to give you just a little tongue lashing here. Hang on. He says this. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Older men. Let's talk about older men there. A lot of you, when you read the word older men, you're thinking like an age, like 65, like I can get free coffee at Denny's, I'm an old man. That's not necessarily what an older man is, all right? Older's relative, right? Like, I'm older than some of you guys out there. I'm looking at some of you, and I'm certainly not as old as some of you. No offense, those of you that I'm looking at right now. But, but age is relative. There's people that are younger than you. There's people that are older than you. So we can't just go by age. It's relative, okay? But listen, it's not even really talking about numerics here. It's not talking about age. When he says older men, he's not just referring to the, to the you know, elderly men. He's talking about the guys who are further along in their Christian faith than the other dudes around them. He's talking about those who are more mature in Christ. And that doesn't have anything to do with age. It's, it's just like technology. My dad, uh, father-in-law, his name is Byron, 82 years old. In 25 years of knowing my father-in-law, he has taught me so much. He's, he's a mentor in so many different ways. He doesn't even know it. But uh, he's just, you know, he's taught me how to work hard and how to work right. He's usually the guy over my shoulder and some kind of fixed it up that I'm doing at my house. Um, he, he's just, he's just it taught me about finances, saved me from a lot of the things that I thought in that area. Uh, but when it comes to his Apple uh, iPad, 
Guess who the older man is in that relationship? This guy, right? I got dad an iPad for Christmas. Ellen and I bought him one. And he didn't even know how to turn it on. I started explaining to him apps. And he's like, what's an app? And, uh, and I said, well, listen, you, you can just you know, get all these apps. A lot of them are free. One of them will allow you to play Sudoku on this little contraption as much as you want. He's like, <gasps> and he loves Sudoku, right? And so there's all these things that this, this you know, basically computer in his lap could do, but he pretty much only uses it for Sudoku, Sudoku right now. And I'm trying, every time he comes, we're trying to learn new things that he can do with this stuff. He got him, I got him answering his email on it, which is pretty exciting because he didn't know it could do that. So in that whole relationship, right, who's the older man? Well, the guy who knows a little bit more about what's going on with this stuff. And in your Christ life, in, in this relationship you have with Jesus, guess what? You're the older man if you've, if you've been doing this a little bit longer than the other guy next to you. Because you, no matter how old they are, you get to be the one who says, hey, here's how it should go. Now, Paul's implication here to Titus is that, hey, Christians are supposed to rub off on each other. Y'all need to help each other. Older men. Live this way as an example to the younger men so that everybody is moving towards Jesus. Don't think that this is just kind of you and your faith in Jesus Christ and it doesn't affect anybody else. You are living your life out loud in front of somebody. And you're either pointing them to Christ or away from them. So he says, older men, here's how you're supposed to live. If you, everybody is in here is, is someone's older man. All you fellas, you're somebody's older man. How's it going? Here's how you live. You live sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Sober-minded just means clear-headed. You're wise. You slow your roll long enough to make the good choice. You're not impetuous. You consider things. You pray about things. You measure your words. That's what it means to be sober-minded. You think well. So many great sober-minded men in our church. One of them is a guy named Eli Lopez. He's one of our elders. He's, he's just recently decided that his time on our board is, is, is done. He served faithfully for 14 or 15, 16. We can't figure out how long, but it's a while. I call him Yoda. Because every time, Star Wars, everybody familiar with Yoda? Every time Eli opens his mouth, he doesn't say a whole lot in our meetings, but when he opens his mouth, it's like everybody quiet. Everybody's like, what? Because Eli's talking. Yeah, Eli comes, and then I want to go home. Anyway, uh. No, Eli speaks, and it's this kind of thing. It's like, it's like E.F. Hutton. Remember those commercials when we were younger? <laughs> and why? Because he measures his words. He's wise. Uh, so, listen, older men, if you're going to be a mentor to someone or you're going to be someone's older man, figure out how to be dignified. And here's what dignified is. Dignity is something that you can't give yourself. You can't self-dignify. Dignity is the product of you living your life in such a way that everybody else sees it and they dignify you for, your, for you. They're, they're basically, dignity is something that someone gives you. It's esteem. In the list of the elders, uh, like in Titus 1 and in uh, 1 Timothy 3, it says, uh, the, the man who's going to be an elder, who's going to be a leader in your church, should be a man of good repute. Someone that everybody looks at and says, that guy's honest. We can, we can trust him. That guy's going to do the right thing. Now, that, that only comes from, from experiences and from you living right in certain situations so that people see you living right and be like, ah, dignity. That guy's got dignity. Self-control. If, if on, the, on the one hand, you need to be sober-minded and think well. Self-control is, on the other hand, you live well. You choose to do the right things. And here's what that means. You don't have the great idea or the wisdom that God gives you in a situation, and then when the going gets tough, resort to plan B. Self-control is that the determination that I'm going to see God's wisdom through in my life. So often people get off the rails. 
God shows them what they're supposed to do. I tell you all the time, my preaching, it's review. I give you the same five things every week pretty much. Just mix them up a little bit. It's up to you to determine whether or not you're going to live them. But what does wisdom do? Wisdom is knowledge applies. Wisdom is us hearing from God and then having the self-control to see it realized in our lives. Fellas, if you want to be someone who's a, someone else older man, man, hear from the Word of God, live by wisdom, have some dignity, and man, be able to follow through with the wisdom that God gives you. Those next three things, it says, in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Those are, you might think, uh, you know, four, five, and six in this list of things that you're supposed to do. I would submit to you that the grammar in the Greek basically says, hey, if you're going to be sober-minded, if you're going to have dignity, if you're going to be self-controlled, then you've got to major in faith and love and perseverance. You've got to have these spiritual disciplines in, in place so that these, these actions are a part of your, your makeup. You're going to be hearing us talk about this all morning. Mom and I, we're going to talk about the fact that it all comes back to our surrender to Jesus. He's got to do a work in us so that he can do his work through us. And so the men who become worthy of following, the mentors in this church in Crete, Paul says, hey, Titus, they're going to be the guys who think well, who are spoken of well, and who uh, act well, but they're going to get those things because they have profound faith in God. And that plays out, right? What, what makes you kind of, you know, jettison the wisdom of God and go to plan B? You lack faith. I trusted God this long, and it hasn't happened the way I thought he said it was going to happen, so I'm going to do it my way now. Plan B! No, that is, that is showing a lack of faith. How, how, do you, how do you maintain wisdom and self-control? In relationships where people are treating you poorly, you learn God's kind of love, which is a love anyway kind of love. Uh, we turn our hearts off to people. When, we, when the love is sucked out of a relationship and we no longer live according to God's love, we turn our hearts off to the people and no longer is wisdom applied or self-control applied in those relationships. Anybody in one of those? But man, if you're tapped into Jesus and you're living by faith and in love, if you're, if you're exercising what the, what the English Standard Version here calls steadfastness, it's a determination. If you're just going to, you know, no matter what, follow Jesus. No matter, what, what do we sing there? The darkness falls. No matter who tries to, 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 to mess me up, I can't be plucked out of the Savior's hand. I'm, I'm not going to be removed from my Jesus, and I'm going to stick with him no matter what. That's what enables you to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Fellas, you got all that? Work on that, dudes, because you're somebody's older man. It might be your sons. It might be your fathers, because he's either yet to come to Christ or he's newer to the faith than you. Regardless of the age of the men that you influence, you are the influencer of men. Be someone worthy of following by the grace of God. Ladies, you want yours? Nobody said yes. Doesn't matter. Thank you. Okay, good. Let's talk about mature Christian women. Mature Christian women act mature. Let's talk about what it says in, in verse 3. It says this. It says, older women, likewise, just so everything that the men got, plus, uh, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. You know what that Greek word reverent in behavior is? It's the Greek word hieroprepos. Everybody say hieroprepos. And it's a Greek word that was uh, associated with pagan religions. It was the Greek word that basically represented the priests or the priestesses in, preg or in, in pagan religions. 
And so here we are in Crete, where everybody's coming from a pagan religion, into Christendom, and Paul says to Titus, hey, tell, let's, let's lose their own vernacular. Let's use what, the words that they, they use. When you tell the women there about how they're supposed to live, tell them they're supposed to live like priestesses. And everybody in those former, you know, everybody from those, those pagan religions, these, these former pagan worshipers would be like, ah, oh, I know what he means. He means I need, I need to act like I'm, I'm a priestess. I'm a varsity follower of my faith because that's what the priestesses were in those pagan religions. Here's one of the, one of the things that, that I always marvels, I, I marvel, uh, you know, about in, in my pursuit of Christ as a pastor is that I think some of you think that, like, pastors are, are different. Like, we're, we're, like, extra special to God. We've got, like, a red phone in our office that, you know, if something's really going bad, we can, like, pick up the red phone and be like, okay, God, seriously, I need this. And, and, and like, 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 I've stood in the corner before and some of you needed prayer and you've waited for me as if my prayers worked better than the members of our prayer team. Everybody knows it's probably not true, right? I'll throw the probably out. It's not true. Because God loves all of us equally. He hears all of us equally. Just because I got a title in an office doesn't make me a better Christian than you. In fact, I'm going to probably guarantee I'm not as good a Christian as a lot of you. Some of you like, oh, bummer. Why are we listening to him? Is it too late to get to First Baptist? We should go somewhere else, honey. This is. No one told us he was a loser. I didn't know. Uh, but it's true. But, okay, so that, that's one thing that we've got to understand. But here's the other thing we've got to understand. You know what the early church fathers helped us understand? John Calvin said there is a priesthood of all believers. Every one of us is a pastor. Does everybody get that? If you've got Jesus, what's up, Reverend? We're all priests and priestesses. We're, we're meant to see ourselves as such. I mean, matter, matter of fact, I think some of you think, well, we pay him to be good. So I can do what I do. Or, or as long as I'm not in church, I can do whatever I want. Anybody gotten that one? You can't lie in church. You can't lie anywhere. Does everybody get that? So we make up these locations, or we make up these positions that somehow leave us off the hook. Here's what I'm telling you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a priest or a priestess in the kingdom of God. And it is on you to act accordingly by the grace of God and through the power of Christ in you. He says to the women, listen. Here's how you're going to live in reverent behavior. You're not going to slander, and you're not going to be slaves to much wine. So let's talk about those things real quick. First thing is this. Mature women, mature women watch their tongues. Mature women are careful with the things that come out of their mouths. Talked about this briefly last week. Let me hit it one more time. I've hit it twice in two weeks because it's important. Because probably more than any other area of your life, ladies, uh, the devil is going to use this. I remember I uh, dropped my uh, young daughter, Kai, off. She was probably four or five years off, five years old at a, at a birthday party. She was the church friend of one of these girls, and all of her school friends were there. And all the school friends met Kai. Kai's got a, you know, kind of an interesting name. It's Kynwin. It's my mother's name. She's Welsh. And so, you know, they introduced her as Kynwin. You could just see all these girls kind of go, like, Kynwin? <laughs> you know, and they started giggling to each other about this girl and whispering to each other. And then they just all run off in this pack of evil. And, uh, <laughs> and... And there's my, my daughter, Kai, kind of left in the dust. And here's the birthday girl trying to figure which, you know, group do I go to? Do I hang out with Kai or my other friend? And, and I, man, Papa Bear came out. I wanted to go up to those little girls and be like, oh, you're cute now, but you're going to be fat when you're 20. And, uh, <laughs> which is sin. You can't do that. Dads, just so you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. But I wanted to. Why? Because here's my, she's. She's four years old, five years old, and it's already starting to happen. 
that girls are comparing themselves to other, putting down other girls. And, and here's why. Can we just talk about sin for a second? Here's why you do this, men and women. Here's why we gossip and slander. Here's why. It's because we're, we are in our sin are just, man, we are just caught in this, this mm, vice of comparison. It used to be that, you remember when sin, before sin came into the world, we were naked and had no shame. There was no comparison. There was no sense of self at all because we were at one with God. And, and there had been no disruption in that relationship. But when sin came in and self became a part of who we are, guess what happened? Well, they're better than me. I'm better than them. They're, and and the, this whole quest to become greater than, to become God-like, it's what's, it's what's at the heart of every sin. I want to be God. Well, when someone makes us feel like we're not God, like we're lesser than, when there's a prettier girl or a smarter girl, Guess what insidious little thing happens in us in this midst of this comparison and this insecurity? Is we're going to use these to knock them down a few notches so that as they go down, I go up a little bit. Just kind of subconscious. It's just for me. But if I can say that they're bad, somehow I'm good in this little sinful mind of mine. It's not true. Just so you know, uh, if, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're perfect. There's no one to compare yourself to anymore. Stop it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means there's no comparison and feeling lesser than in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? But does sin still drag us into that? Yeah. And how does that sin manifest itself? Gossip, slander. The rag mags on the, on the you know, everybody loves standing in, in, in the aisle of the grocery store because they get to find out that Kim Kardashian isn't as great as she thought she was. And somehow I'm a little bit better because of that. The housewives have taken over cable. Why? Because we just love to watch women who are worse than us. And we get to feel a little bit better about ourselves. Everybody see how this works? It ought not to be so. Just so you know. And those of us ladies who have chosen Christ, it cannot be so. Slander's got to go. Even in the form of a prayer request, slander and gossip has to go. I, I, I think I've ever done this in my, in my preaching before. Here's my first acrostic. Uh, you know, like words that come from a name. Or, okay, here we go. Let me like cross. Just follow me. <clears throat> when you speak, ladies or men, because I'm speaking to all of us, and it's going to be about someone else, I want you to think. The first thing is it's T-H-I-N-K. First thing, is this true? Is what I'm about to say true? If it's just a rumor that I heard, shut up. There's no room for that in the kingdom of God. Is it true? Does it help? Is what I'm about to say helpful? Is it going to somehow make things better? Listen, if someone is living in sin and you go to someone out of concern so that you can both go and help, great. But if someone is living in sin and you're like, did you know that TJ is a da 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 That doesn't help. In fact, that does what the I thing is. Is it true? Does it help? Does it invoke negativity? Does it invoke negativity? Is what I'm about to say going to leave someone else with this negative impression of this person? And is it necessary? So much of our conversation is unnecessary. It's empty calories. There's just stuff that we talk about because we're bored. Because we ran into a seven-minute lull. Did you know every seven minutes in conversation, there's a lull? 
it kind of averages out, but just you know, pay attention. If you're ever in a conversation with someone, you'll be talking and laughing and joking and discussing, and all of a sudden there'll come a time it's like, well, everybody looks at each other. Well, I guess we're done with that subject, and you're waiting for someone else to start another one. This is where Satan loves to say, hey, talk about you. Is it necessary? Or are we just trying to fill the void? Finally, is, this is most important. Is it kind? Is it true? Does it help? Does it invoke negativity? Is it necessary? And finally, is it kind? In Ephesians it says, don't let any unwholesome talk. Don't let any, don't let any unhygienic talk come out of your mouth. Only what is good for the building up of those around you. Is it kind? Even if you've got to criticize someone, start with kindness. Shane, love your shirt. Hate your pants, but you're a nice guy. Make a sandwich. See how I did that? <laughs> See how I did that? Because I want to emphasize kind over the criticism. Even if it's something that needs to be said, start with love and kindness. Mature women are careful with their tongues. Mature women are, are, are productive with their time. Mature women are productive with their time. I'm going to go real quick through this one. But here's what Paul had against the women in Crete. They were, they were slanderers. So teach them to be reverent behavior, not slanderers. And teach them not to be slaves to much wine. Apparently everybody had a box in their fridge. And they were just, you know, uh, you know knocking it out. And, and here's what was happening. Just so you know, these Cretan women had, had gotten past the years of childbearing, childrearing. The kids probably out of the house. Uh, and they had all these, you know, servants that would help them do things. And so they just were idle. And what did they fill their time with? Debauchery, drinking, slander, evil. How should you live your lives? Listen, we talked about this with the fellas. Fellas, you were put on earth to work to the glory of God, to be busy. God didn't make lazy men. He made men who were productive. Same thing with you ladies. You got X amount of years, X amount of hours in a day. Use them for the glory of God. Put off the old self. I must decrease so that he might increase. Put yourself into the things that glorify God and do things that have eternal significance. Can't take other stuff with you. But service. That's, that stuff lasts. 82-year-old Pat. She, she apparently, I don't know what telling me. She used to be a volunteer at, at Echo. I don't know if she still does. But when she was 82 years old, she finally quit working. She, she stopped working in her job. I don't remember what she did. But she retired at 82. Okay, so if someone retires at 82, everybody's like, hey, man, just take it easy. I don't know if Pat started out doing that, but Pat eventually started filling her days with serving the nonprofits in, in her community. She went to church, and she just found all these nonprofit organizations where she could make a difference by coming and folding T-shirts with her day. She would get all the clothes from Echo and just sit back there and sort and fold and all that stuff. And someone asked her once, I don't know if it was Eleanor, someone said, why, why are you doing this? And she probably said something along the lines of, hey, this is why I exist. I'm here to produce, to serve, not to soak and sit. Certainly not to suck off a box of wine in my fridge. I'm here to make a difference. You're here, listen, we're priests and priestesses. We're here to make a difference. Let's make it to the glory of God. Amen? The last thing he says here is that uh, older women, older men, we need to be teachers of those who come after us. Teachers, that's what he says. Look, it says, it says in verse uh, 3 there, it says, Older women likewise should be reverent, not slanderers, not drinking watch wine. They should, they should, instead, with their time, they should go and teach what's good. And so train the younger women. Uh, 
I have an older woman in my life. She's my, wa- my mom. And uh, she's an amazing lady, and she's mature and seen a lot of things by the grace of God, and she's going to come and talk to us uh, about what younger women could be and should be doing. Can you welcome my mom to the stage? So, as an older woman, chronologically, and having lived through some of the stuff of life, What is it that I want those who are younger than me to know the most? What what is it that I can use to train them, to teach them? Mark has, has just told us how we're to live as older women and that our lives are to set a good example, an example of clean living in word and deed. And in Titus 4, Uh, It says that we are to train by example those who are younger than us. And I want to suggest to you that life is not about me. Pat that worked at Echo at 82, life was not about her. It was about what she could serve, how she could serve and what she could do for others. And I believe that ladies and gentlemen, both, everything we do is an example It can be a good example, or it may not be a great example, but it is an example, and and that I am not living unto myself, but everything that I'm doing in my life is telling others who I really am and also who God is. If I am saying that I am a believer and I am living life contrary to the way God wants me to live that, I am presenting a God that is not true. I remember as a teenager watching my best friend's mom. She was truly the Proverbs 31 woman. She was, she was loving. She loved to cook and bake. She always was taking food to somebody that was in need. She clothed her family. She was an amazing seamstress. And she always was doing this with a smile on her face. She enjoyed, she was was energized by the opportunity that she had to be a good example. Then I remember watching another mother who was negative. She was stingy. She was selfish. She wanted to be served instead of serving others. And as I looked at these two women as a young teen, I made up my mind which one I wanted to be like. Both called themselves believers, but I saw Christ. I saw, I saw the Proverbs 31 woman in my, in my friend's mom. Verse 5 of Titus says, to be self-controlled. There's that self-control thing. We've talked about it with the older men. We've talked about it with the older women. We're to be pure we're to be working at home. J.B. Phillips, who has also translated the New Testament, says that we are to be home lovers. I love that. And you know, there are those of us here who uh, are married and have children in our home. There are those of us here who are single. I'm a single woman. There's nobody else living in my house currently. And yet I need to love my, our home needs to become an oasis. Our, need, our home needs to be that place of refueling 
and recharging. We are to love our homes. We are to be kind. There's kind again in, in the think acrostic. We are to be submissive to our own husbands again so that our lives are presenting a true picture of who God is. Last week, Mark spoke on Proverbs 31, and today he spoke on Titus 2. And do you see the similarities in the two lists? I sat down the other day, and I took both passages, and it's a complete cross-reference. God in the Old Testament and God in the New Testament is saying how we as women and as men are to live out our lives. The Proverbs 31 woman, she loves those in her sphere of influence. She cares for them. She serves them. And her home is open to others. She's incredibly hospitable. One of my absolute favorite verses in Proverbs 31 is verse 25. And it says, strength and dignity are her clothing. There's the dignity again that we talked about with the older men. And she shall laugh at the time or the days to come. It was just about five years ago, right now, that uh, I, was, I had retired. I was on my way out after 23 years of working in a, in a ministry. And I was driving down the road one day. I was on my way to a Bethmore simulcast where I was going to do a ministry pres- presentation at halftime. And um, I was, it just dawned on me. Oh, my goodness. I've retired. I am not going to be getting this salary that I've been living on for all these years. And all we've got is our Social Security, my husband's and mine. And it, I, I just had never processed that because I'd just been obedient. God said, you're done. So I resigned. And I began processing what this was really going to look like. And I got, I got really frantic. It's like, my goodness, we may be in the bread line. Worse than all of that, we may have to go live with one of our kids. God forbid that that would ever happen. And to which they say, amen. Um, but I was just, I was, I was. I don't often get riled, but I was riled. And I jumped out of the car and I ran into this church. And as I ran in, I heard Beth Moore on the simulcast say this. And she shall laugh at the days to come. I went, Papa, you are so absolutely amazing. How many months ago did Beth Moore record this and you who orchestrates every aspect of our lives had that set to be spoken as I came running into that church as an affirmation that the Proverbs 31 woman lived in the confidence of who her God is. And she could laugh at the days to come. I wish I had time to tell you what in the last five years God has done in my life. It is that I can look at tomorrow and just smile because my papa knows what it's going to be our confidence in our God. Being who Titus and who Proverbs tells us as women to be is only accomplished in our confidence, uh, in our relationship with God, by knowing him, by trusting him, 
by living in a close and intimate relationship with him, which brings me to John 15. John 15 is one of my most favorite passages in scripture. And it says this in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it, he is that, I never can say this, he it is that bears much fruit. For without me or apart from me, you can do nothing. Two amazing truths there. I want to look at the last one first. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have these lists in, in Titus and Proverbs that, we, that God says this is how it needs to look. But I need to tell you that whenever we strive to do any of that, in our own strength, when we strive to accomplish anything God asks of us on our own, we are practicing idolatry. We are taking God and we are replacing him and his resources with our inadequacy and it never accomplishes the desired results. Trying to do it on, it, on our own, it wears us out. It makes us frustrated, and it doesn't work, and we give up. We've talked about the Proverbs 31 woman. For years, I didn't like her. I, I, I just felt like she had set the bar far too high, and I couldn't keep up with her. And then I realized, after God showed me these verses, that I was trying to do it on my own. I was trying to accomplish something without the power of God being used in me and so I love the first part of John 15 where it says that whoever abides in me and I abide in him guess what you're going to bear much fruit you're, you're, you're going to live out Titus 2 and Proverbs 31 because it's all about living in that close abiding relationship and we will bear much fruit so what's the fruit Galatians 5:22 and 23 The fruit of the spirit is singular. The fruit of the spirit is love, and it shows itself in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And guess what? There's that self-control again. Do you see the similarity? I wish we could have had time to have three lists up here. Proverbs, Titus, in Galatians 5:22 and 23 the similarities are astounding and when our focus when our deepest desire is to live in abiding relationship with God our lives will naturally be as he asks out of that comes much fruit out of that comes a life that looks like his ladies and gentlemen we resemble who we hang out with. We are who we keep company with. And when I am trying to do something apart from God, it's going to fail. But when I am attempting, when I am living in that abiding relationship, that's what God's all about. That He's like, I'm so glad you're with me. I'm so glad you're tucked in here. I'm so glad that we're doing this together. And when we do that, we will be reverent in the way we live. We won't gossip. We won't put other people down. 
we'll be self-controlled and we'll live purely and we will be kind. What an amazing joy is ours to be wired in such a way that we can be conduits of all that God wants us to show of him in our sphere of influence. So, here in the power of Christ we stand. We live, we influence, and we bring glory to God. And so, as an older woman, that is what I want those in my sphere of influence to know more than anything else. Thanks, Mom. Let's leave with this, shall we? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Just to kind of pack home everything that Mom was saying, and hopefully you heard me say. Lots of lists in the Bible. Have you noticed this? Lots of things that God would aspire us to be. Parts to his design that he hopes that we kind of conform to. Are you with me on that? Ever been overwhelmed by the lists? Ever been like, got that, got that, got that? Ooh. Everybody, everybody ever read that when you come to one of the lists? That's a tough one. Who's got one of the tough ones? Anybody got a tough one? Even the things that we were talking about this morning, ladies and gentlemen, self-control, wisdom. Anybody got a tough one? Yeah. Ever wonder how you get through, break through in those areas that are problems for you? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we'll go home. Therefore, Wherever there's, there, there's a therefore, you ask what the therefore is there for. It's referring to the entirety of chapter 11, where you get to hear about all these great men and women from the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament, even up to the New Testament, who had given their lives to faith in God. Therefore, since all those people had faith in God, since we had this great cloud of witnesses, it's this like picture of a stadium full of people who had gone before us, and they're, they're our witnesses. They're the ones who, who basically remind us that this can be done. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. The weights in your life are your temptations, the things that would draw you away from the path or the plan that God has for you and into the things of self and sin. Let's get rid of those weights. Let's get rid of the sin that's already present in our lives, the sins that cling to us, those problem areas that when we go through the list, we're like, got it, got it, ooh. Let's get rid of those things and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Who wants to do that? Anybody with me on that with the whole Jesus thing? Let's run this deal. Let's get on this thing. Let's do it with endurance. No slowing down. No stops. But you come to verses like this in the Bible and you've got to be, like me, you've got to be asking, how? How do I do that? How do I get rid of the weights? How do I get free from my sin? How do I run this race with endurance? Next verse, he tells you, you look to Jesus. You fix your eyes on Jesus, it says in the NIV. Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who starts it. He's the one who's going to complete it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Who started the work in you if you're a Christian? Christ. Who's helping you be a Christian? Christ. Who's going to help you finally overcome that problem area? Christ. In Christ alone, we overcome. So whatever your stuff is, here's your encouragement for the morning. It's not too big for Jesus. It's too big for you. It's too big for me. It's not too big for Jesus. Surrender to him. Submit to him. 
Seek him. Let him live through you. And that's what Jesus wanted me to say to you this morning. We're going to go dunk some people because they've said yes to Jesus. They've surrendered their lives to him. They want to stay that way. Come out and, and, and celebrate with them. They're changed. Their life changed. And uh, let's all be encouraged. Let's surrender to our Savior as we try to live out the list. Amen? Can we stand and be uh, dismissed in prayer? Hey, God in heaven, thank you so much for these men and women. Uh, every one of them in here is somebody's older man and somebody's older woman. Help us all to be worthy of being followed. Teach us what it is to live by your design. But God, most of all, infuse us with your grace through Christ. Uh, lead us to surrender to him. God, help us to seek your son's face as we endeavor to become all that you've designed us to be. And we'll praise you for it. Yeah, like mom said, the fruit will just come out when we train and fix our eyes on you. So lead us to that, God, all of us. Those of us who know you, those of us who have yet to find you, lead us to saving faith in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can become all you designed us to be. And I pray that for all of my family here in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. See you out by the tank. Have a blessed week.